Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome to the broadcast, everybody. So good to have you here with us. It is Monday, April 25th, 2016. We appreciate you joining us. Today on the Hot Topics segment, we have Ed Golding, Edward Golding, joining us from FHA. He's uh, very excited about having him visit. For those of you who have attended many industry conferences, you've heard uh, Mr. Golding speak, and we're really honored and privileged to talk about FHA, the future of FHA so much going on with this election and where does it look like where, where's the industry going where's what's what's up with fha so we're going to be getting it right from ed's direct uh, perspective so we're looking forward to it so appreciate you tuning in and being a part of the podcast and if you could see this is a live broadcast if you could see some of the things that go on behind the scenes just as we're scrambling to get in to this uh get this live it's always uh it's always one of those things did you see the movie broadcast news a number of years ago and you see them running as they dive to get the things set up. Well, that kind of way it felt this morning. But anyway, it's a good Monday here in Central Texas. We appreciate you tuning in. This broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. I want to say a very special thank you to our sponsors. They are uh, ArchMI, who is creator of the innovative RateStar product. We have Motivity Solutions, the mortgage industry's leading business intelligence technology and the nation's leading company that provides real-time reporting, dashboards, and scorecards. They tie into your LOS system and bring you real-time data. It is such a valuable tool. We're going to hear more about that, and they have a KPI of the week we're going to be sharing with you in just a bit. Velma, if you're looking for a great marketing company to help you get the word out about your company, all the things that are going on, you should you should use or at least consider using Velma, which stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. You can go to Velma.com or get a hold of Brett Emler and email him. He's just, I'll tell you, this crew does a great job of getting the word out for you. They have a Set It and Forget It program, so they also can create programs on the fly. Also, Simplifile, we're grateful to have them as a sponsor. They're in a post-trid world. Timing is of essence, and waiting for an email as, the latest, as for the latest update is no longer acceptable. Simplifile will allow you to collaborate with settlement agents by way of real-time chat and messaging. You also track, share, and receive validation of documents and data in a real-time manner. So when you're looking at communicating with the various partners that you're working with, especially when it comes to closing, electronic communication, having it be trackable is really a key. So go check it out at Simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, or call 1-800-460-5657. Also, a special thank you to DNH, who has recently joined us. Go back and listen to the uh, podcast. I was with, as you guys know, I was down in San Antonio last week. I got a chance to take a look at the um, barometer product that they have coming out. Very innovative stuff, and it's very exciting. They have a list of com- uh, products that they have offer. They're in the fintech space, financial tech services. They have bank products. It is a full range of suite of products that I encourage you to check out. Go to dh.com. Man, they must have gotten that a long time ago. To have a two-letter uh, 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 
web address is pretty amazing. So anyway, also special thank you to goes out to our contributors, Alice Alvey, Joe Farr, Andy Shell, Paul Malo, Sam Garcia, and everyone else who participates in this broadcast to make it the number one most listened to podcast in the industry. We've got upcoming conferences. We have the Legal Issues and Regulatory Compliance Conference in Denver at the Hyatt Regency. Uh, I'll be speaking at the at the um, event that is um, preceding that by just one day. It is Compliance Eases event. I'm speaking at that twice. Real honored to be there. So if you're in Denver, swing on over to the Compliance Ease Conference and uh, User Conference. We'll be there. Also, May 15th through the 18th, the National MBA Secondary Conference in New York City at the New York Marriott. I'll be there broadcasting live from there, from the conference. Also, June 5th through the 8th, the Chairman's Conference in the Breakers in Palm, Palm Beach, Florida. It's a great conference. Really, uh, when you look at the speakers, I mean, all the MBA events are great, but there's something special about the con- MBA Ch- Chairman's Conference the caliber of speakers there and the depth of which they get into specifics of what's going on in the industry. Very, very valuable information comes from it. While you're checking out all the MBA conferences, be sure to sign up for MBA's Mortgage Action Alliance. Joe Farr, good to have you here with us each and every week giving us an update on the markets. Um, So let's talk about it. Not much to report on today. MBS prices are just about where they ended the day on Friday. We're up just a touch. Actually, we just went down below uh, where we ended the day on Friday just a little bit. But uh, uh, the only economic news to come out today was the new home sales, which came in a little weaker than expected and and, um, a little bit below the revised number for last month. Uh, uh, Stocks have been a little more volatile today than than MBS has. Uh, They're currently off about 50 basis points on the Dow. They were down 150 earlier today. I think some weakness out of Germany was uh, uh, hard on stocks to early to start the day, and uh, and so not much going on today. Uh, last week we had a pretty active week starting on Wednesday. Uh, you might recall the last couple uh, looking on lending shows. We've said mortgage rates uh, are just about where they have where they. Where they had been, not a lot of movement, and at or near the lowest levels in a couple of years. Well, starting on Wednesday, MBS prices fell uh, about 55 basis points by the end of the week, and mortgage rates rose about eight basis points during that time. Um, but again, that's uh, off very low rates, and so you know an eight basis point rise isn't all that harmful to uh, to activity. Um, started falling ahead of the ECB meeting, and then when the ECB chose not to uh, provide any additional stimulus, they fell a little bit further, Uh, and that was most of the reason for movement last week. The mixed economic data that came out in the U.S. didn't have much effect on on mortgage rates. Uh, Housing data was mixed, as you might recall. Existing home sales rose, which was nice, uh, to 5.33 million units, up from just over 5 million units in February, while housing starts and permits slowed um, in February from March. And the home builder survey was uh, pretty much unchanged. Well, jobless claims got even worse. You remember last week we talked about them being at 253,000, which was the best since... uh, uh, 1973, and this week they beat them. They were there. Well, last week they beat them. Uh, 247,000. Uh, obviously the lowest since 1973. 
uh, and, and certainly indicates, uh, uh, you know, an, an improving labor market. So this week's a big week, Dave. Uh, yeah, tomorrow, durable, durable Orders comes out at 8.30. Consumer Confidence comes out at 10. Uh, then on Wednesday, Pending Home Sales comes out ahead of the Fed statement, which will be released at 2. Uh, that ought to be a, an interesting event. Be sure to pay attention around that time. Uh, no change in the Fed funds rates expected, but uh, you know investors will be looking for what kind of change there might be, if any, in the tone of the, the uh, governors and, and what that might cause uh, investors to expect about future meetings. Bank of Japan's meeting uh, on, it's their Thursday, but uh, the statement would come out late Wednesday, our our time. You know, this is a, a crapshoot. Investors really don't know what to expect out of Japan. Uh, they could do nothing or they could do something extreme. Uh, you know, it's not as big an event as ECB meeting is for us, and uh, uh, but it, it could be an interesting announcement and certainly uh, maybe something to pay attention to uh, uh, late Wednesday, early Thursday morning. Uh, also, early Thursday morning is the first quarter GDP. It's set to be released at uh, 8.30, and uh, consensus is for a 1% growth rate there for the first quarter. Uh, Friday, core PC comes out at 8.30, then Chicago PMI at 9.45, and consumer sentiment at 10. So it's really a busy week. Busy week. You know, i I got to give you a shout-out on something on your website that I have been using for a while, and I want to make sure your, those that are not using it, your site, understand the additional benefits of it. But, for example, consumer confidence. I was looking at that last night. I do the Today's Mortgage Minute video, which I do every day, and it's out on across 120 radio, television, newspaper websites and gets around 10 to 16 million views each week. And so I'm always looking for content. What's resources? What's this consumer confidence? How does it compare to consumer sentiment that's coming up? And then I I clicked on it. So for those that are not aware of it, when you go and look at the number and you see consumer confidence, for example, you click on that and it opens up and gives you a description of what that is. There are so many good – there's so much good information on your website and the way it's organized, it just get, you just get right to what you need. It's right, concise to the point. And I gotta compliment you, Joe, the way you've organized this. Well, thank thing. you. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, but, but, but does it have this? That you know, it has what you need, and that gets you to where you need to be. And that's the most important part. If you want to be an analyst, you can go spend thousands and thousands of dollars, but you can you know, deal with MBS quote line and have what you need there to give concise answers, and that's what you need to do, folks. So. Joe, I really give you compliments on your website. You do a great job. Thank you, sir. Information. All right, we're going to be right back with Paul Malo in uh, just a minute. Uh, let's see. Is it Paul dialed in? I'm going to make sure if he's dialed in here. He may not be joining us today. We'll find out. If not, we'll go to Al Salvi. Good to have you with us. We'll be right, at, right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLine delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. 
Yeah, it's good to have you with us, everybody. We are. Look, I'm looking for Paul Malo. He's usually dialed in at this point. Uh, if you're not, check out their website. Uh, if he's not, let's give it just a minute here. He may be dialing in late. Uh, but if you're not familiar with Inside Mortgage Finance, they have a website with a newsletter connected. It's called IMF News. They do a great job of covering a lot of the news stories. And so encourage you to get over to that website, imfnews.com. I don't see Paul dialed in, so uh, we're going to move on to Alice Alvey. Alice, good to have you here with us. And uh, is it starting to warm up there? The spring has sprung up there in the beautiful part of the country? It has. So we are uh, having beautiful weather this spring. So uh, for those of you who don't recall, I'm up in the Detroit area in Michigan, and it is beautiful. I just said that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we have so many listeners that listen to you so much on here. They, I just assume where they know, but it's good. Yeah, Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> good, good to see it's all going on there. It's beautiful down here. Well, so let's take a look. At, go ahead. I think with our FHA focus, I thought I'd pick up on a couple of things that we've been watching um, over time. Now, from a House bill standpoint, there is House Bill 3700 that um, picked up several things from FHA, about FHA that had been in housing in general, that it's kind of been out in multiple bills, and they scooped up everything, of course, as Congress does, and puts a lot of things together that don't really go together. But one of the parts in this is about the FHA mortgage insurance for condominiums. There hasn't been any movement on this since February, but it's got a lot of sponsors, and usually this effort when they start combining things means it might start to get some uh, traction uh, for something, right, if they could accomplish something this year. Maybe this one might be it. So I am going to watch this for you. What it does mean for condos is um, essentially looking for FHA to streamline um, the recertification process. For those of you in condominium markets, you know that you get that, go through all that paperwork, and then two years later, you've got to go through most of it again and really trying to uh, put a charge out there in a lot of ways to give FHA the authority then to expand how long that is valid for, maybe give us three, four, even five years that that condo certification is good for, or at least streamlining that uh, regular update certification for those uh, projects, those good projects that have been stable and have good history. So we'll definitely be watching that since it's an advantage for what we want to see uh, for FHA. And then also um, there's a, in Senate Bill 2012, this Energy Policy Modernization Act had a little component in there for FHA to reduce the amount of, um, I'm sorry, making sure that energy costs are included in the underwriting process. Now, we don't need to do that. We're not really hoping this makes its way through. <laughs> we know how much of a challenge that is with VAs trying to remember to put in that utility cost. You know, we're really, if you think about it, it's already factored in with the ratios and so forth that we're using it. So I'm not sure why why this is out there, uh, but since we're our focus today is FHA, I thought I'd bring up a few points. So we'll definitely be making sure that one goes away. And last but not least, the one bill that we do think is uh, we want to watch see if MBA can get some traction for and that's House Bill 2121 for the State Act trans that transformational licensing component that a lot of folks say outside, you want to push to get this through because it does help in your careers as you may move between uh, banks and lenders. Um, so that's House Bill 2121. We'll be watching that for you as well. So that's my update for today, Dave. I'm so excited Good. to have yeah. uh, Ed Golding on the call today. I'm looking forward to that, too. Lots of uh, great information will come up from that. Thank you so much, Alice. Appreciate it. And, folks, if you're looking for someone to do handle your training needs or just help you through so many of the issues that are going on today, you need to get a hold of Alice at Mortgage U or Indicom. Now, is it is you still hang on to the, hang on to the name Mortgage-U? 
Do you still have that, do you not? Yeah, we do have our mortgage U name and mortgage-u.com. But, of course, we are part of the wonderful Indicom family, so we are known as Indicom Mortgage U. Indicom Mortgage U. got to make sure we get that right, folks. If you want to learn more, stay tuned to this message. We'll be right back after this brief word. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Yes, they do. They do. They will definitely give you the edge. Sam Garcia, it's always so much fun to have you here and joining in. Sam has a website called Mortgage Daily. If you do not check, him, if you're not signed up to that website, I encourage you to get it. It's got a, not only some great news and updates what's going on in the industry, but also some great data there. Sam, how are you doing, my friend? How's things up in Dallas? Things are good. Things are good. Thank you. And uh, and we've got some data for, for today, actually, too, so it should be interesting. Um, our mortgage market index, which is a reflection of average per user rate locks by clients of uh, open close, was mostly unchanged last week, but uh, the index was up uh, 11% from a year earlier. And uh, in relation, you know, related to today's show, uh, rate locks for FHA mortgages uh, jumped 11% from last week. It was the, the biggest gain of any category. So FHA oh, did really? pretty good. And Compared to a year ago, FHA business was up more than half, so that's a pretty pretty big jump on a year-over-year basis. Um, some good news that came out last week, um, Freddie Mac's monthly mortgage finance forecast indicates that uh, it expects about $680 billion in refinance originations this year, uh, and that was up from March's forecast. And it was the same thing over at the Mortgage Bankers Association, which put out its April economic outlook. And it increased its uh, refinance projection for this year to $585 billion from just $550 billion last month. So some of these recently low rates uh, having an impact and are going to make business a little bit better than uh, previously expected. Black Knight reported that uh, it's that the 30-day delinquency rate, excluding foreclosures, was 4.08% in March, and the rate tumbled from 4.45% the prior month. Always good news to have better loan performance. I, I know that uh, Joe discussed today's new home sales report was a little bit weak, but there was one uh, pretty positive piece of data that came out of that report, and that was the inventory of new homes, because, I mean, as you're probably aware, the uh, some of the problems with uh, our real estate market out there is there's just not enough homes for sale. And so new homes for sale, uh, came, uh, as far as that were for sale as of March, that inventory was 246,000 properties. Um, that's the biggest inventory since September 2009, based on some historical data we pulled up from uh, Census Bureau and HUD. So that's a good sign that we've got a little bit of uh, yeah. expanding inventory and possibly could yeah. be good news for the real estate market in general. Um, you know, we do our, of course, our uh, quarterly mortgage origination survey. So we've got that going in full swing right now for the first quarter of this year. And Quicken Loans reported that it did $19.4 billion in uh, loan originations during the first three months of this year. Um, 
And that was up 5% from the final quarter of last year, which is uh, better than most lenders because everything we're tracking is business was pretty much down for most lenders, not a whole lot, but was weaker during the first quarter versus the fourth quarter. So that's a good sign. And in addition, Quicken reported that its servicing portfolio for the first time uh, exceeded $200 billion. So that's a pretty good-sized servicing portfolio, especially given that they weren't even in the servicing business you know, just a few years back. Um, and in addition, their staff was up by 2,000 people between you know, the end of last year and uh, March 31st of this year. So uh, they've got some pretty significant growth going, over the, going on over there at Quicken in Detroit. So, uh, Finally, uh, one other story we covered was uh, uh, we picked this up. Um, Wells Fargo disclosed that it had uh, disclosed last week that it had 251 layoffs uh, nationally that it's doing, uh, and a big share of those uh, were in North Carolina. Um, and the company, as it's you know stated in the past on other layoffs, indicated that the uh, job cuts were the result of lower levels of distressed loans and weaker refinance demand. So, those are some of the highlights, though, from uh, from last over the last week uh, as far as at Mortgage Daily. It's a great website. I appreciate you taking time to bring us some of the highlights on your website. I encourage people to go out, our listeners, to go out and sign up for your service, you can go to www.mortgagedaily.com or get a hold of Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com or call him, 214-521-1300. Sam, thank you so much for dialing in, my friend. Have yourself a great week up there. You too. Thank you, David. You bet. Well, we are, we've got Jim Jump, who has been uh, who is the Arch Mortgage's Chief Marketing Officer and they've launched an innovative rate star program. And Jim has pre-recorded some comments I want to share with you at this time. Hello, David, and thanks for having me on the program. Today, I want to share some information about RGMI's most dynamic and competitive rate program. It's called RGMI Rate Star, and it's a revolutionary mortgage insurance pricing solution that goes well beyond traditional MI rate sheets to provide our most competitive rates match precisely with your borrower. Rate Star is now available, and all you need is your NMLS number to start using Rate Star today. RateStar allows for our customers to obtain our most competitive rate for each loan they insure with ArchMI, and in many cases with considerable savings over traditional rate card pricing. Mortgage originators are letting us know that they like how easy it is to access RateStar, just how easy it is to use, and they really like the innovative design. RateStar is available to our customers via ArchMI's website at archmi.com or archmicu.com for credit unions. And the mobile app is available for Apple and Android devices. It is fully integrated with most loan origination systems and product and pricing engines. And with that, David, I will turn it back over to you and say thank you for the time. You bet, Jim. Appreciate you being a sponsor and say thank you to everyone there at ArchMI. If you have not reached out to their sales reps, be sure to do so. Learn about it. I was on their website. I think I told you about this all last week, and I saw the cost savings that you could realize by using this, uh, this app. Very powerful, very effective. Profit Doctor, he's in the house. I always put a smile on my face because you know, I learn something every time I listen to this guy talk, and so I'm excited to have you here, Profit Doctor. Good to have you, my friend. Hey, Dave Licken, it's always awesome to be here with oh. you. It's one of my favorite times of the week. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, what words So, Dave, I wanted to talk for? about some of the calls we've been getting uh, from, you know, it, we're like the fire department, and you do the same thing. You're in the same business. And so if people would call us in advance, it makes life so much easier for them. But, you know, everybody <laughs> thinks they can do it themselves. The case, though, and then, 
No, they, they, they call us with their hair on fire and want us to fix it. And um, so we go in and do that. But a couple of the things that we've, we've been having recurring calls about is something I wanted to mention real quickly because we want to get on to hear about uh, Dr. Ed talk. So yes. in, in starting, whether if this is about changing and managing change or called change management, but it's about you know if you if you're looking at getting a new origination system or you're looking at getting a new pricing solution or you're looking at even changing your flood vendor i mean whatever it is all of these things that revolve around mortgage lending where we have third party service providers other companies who do things for us whenever we change from one to another it's not like the light switch just gets flicked and the light comes on it's substantially more difficult than that depending upon what it is, but in every case, we really need to know a couple of the answers to a couple of questions. We need to know what it is we need, and we need to know why we need it. And along with knowing why we need it, we need it because it's going to make everything awesome. It's going to make everything be smoother. It's going to fix all of our problems. You know, if you listen to a salesperson, that's always the case. It's going to be better. But we need to put some dollars behind it. We need to understand the cost. And almost most importantly, let's assume that we can afford it <clears throat> and we really need it. So then the next thing then is this conversion, this transition. And these conversions are always disruptive and they're, they're change and things aren't where they're supposed to be and you can't find stuff anymore and the, they can't get the funds out because they can't figure out what button to push and the realtor's screaming at the originator because the funds aren't title yet. And so, you know, just a couple of rules of thumb about dealing with these kind of changes. Uh, first off, no matter what you think, it's going to take longer and cost more. Always does. And uh, Joe and Alice and Dave are all on mute at this moment, but they're all chuckling because that's always the truth. <laughs> also, I'm back that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 this is preaching to the choir for them. Yes, also, you know... Uh, your existing staff that you have on board right now today are busy, otherwise you wouldn't have them. And so to think that they have extra time to manage a conversion or have the expertise to manage a conversion uh, is almost always they don't. They don't have the time and they don't know how because it's a very detailed project management kind of stuff. And while that sounds easy, it's like, it's like being the architect to build a house and then being the general contractor to construct a house. There's thousands of details and thousands of components to put into all of these elements to make it stand up straight and be safe. So that's what we, that, that's what we all want. We want to have a safe transition. So at the end of the day, don't expect your staff to do it. Get third-party support. Get somebody else to come in and help manage your transition Give you know everybody on this call can give you recommendations for who that could be. Alice supports it. My my group supports it. Dave supports it. We all do it. But at the end of the day, just expect it to take longer. It's going to cost more. And most importantly, do not expect your staff to just pick it up as another project because every company we go into where they try to do that, it doesn't work as well as they had hoped. So it's better for your staff to save the grief, get some help. There you go, Dave. You agree? That's good. Save the ground. Get some help. You know, and you're so 
to your point that they everyone waits to the last minute or until their hair's on fire is it's a wrong time. It's like you know, yeah, you know, well, I can, we got all the metaphors in the world. It's it's a good idea to just call and get the help in a, in, ahead of time and get some advice in there because save it's cheaper. It really is. Andy, thank you so much. Appreciate appreciate it. I'm also known as better known as the Prophet Doctor. I go out and and I was I was at a conference uh, just recently. It was one out in out in L.A. at the tech conference and. And, and they were quoting the prophet doctor, the prophet doctor. Well, I like what the prophet doctor I said. Can I ask you a question? Do you know the name of the prophet doctor? And they go, they got this smile. They go, no, I don't. And I said, it's because it sticks so well. So it's a good, it's a, it's a good, good, as they say in certain languages, they in certain places, certain circles. It's a good, it's a good handle. So keep it. It's working well. So thank you, Dave. Locking onto you. I appreciate it so much. A lot of wisdom there and a lot of great experience. So. You reach out to get a hold of Andy. So, Andy, how can they reach you? What is the best way? How is your preferred way for them to connect with you? The best way is to send me an email, andy at mbs-team.com. Very simple, very easy. Works every time. It works every time. Well, that's good. Well, appreciate you being here, friend, and I'm looking forward to having you participate in the discussion with uh, Dr. Ed Golding, so it'd be very good to have him. You know, that's what's so nice, Andy, when you find someone who has as many degrees and distinguished degrees, magna cum laude from Harvard, nonetheless, and then and, and a PhD from in economics from Princeton University. And and you know what, Ed is so humble. You just meet him, and you just, I just enjoy people like that who have all these degrees, but you know, they just they're just who they are, and I just really enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to your participation in that discussion shortly here. Thanks, Dave. Folks, we also have K, uh, the Motivity provides us the KPI, or the Key Performance Indicator of the Week, and we've got John Maynell, who pre-recorded the comments for us. He's VP of Client Services. So let's turn to John for the Motivity KPI of the Week. Hello. Thanks very much, David. Always good to be here. And this week's Key Performance Indicator is Application to Funded Cycle Time. Uh, since the arrival of TRID, cycle time measurements have obviously come to the forefront, everything from looking at the entire application to funded cycle uh, down to sub-cycles or cycle time between milestones. Everyone wants to compress cycle time, and the beauty of this type of strategic KPI is that it can be tied to operational KPIs that track the tasks or processes within the cycle that contribute to how long or short that cycle is. So operational KPIs can be thought of as the cause, and strategic KPIs are the effect. Uh, and balancing and monitoring these key measurements really can drive performance, and this demonstrates again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, David, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. You bet. Thank you so much, John. And if you want to learn more about all the KPIs that you can track and have as on, on your dashboard, go to MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303-721-9000. It's a great service. I don't know how people run their business without a real-time dashboard. It's a really, really powerful tool for everyone out there. So excited to have Dr. Edward Golding joining us. He is the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Housing, and uh, it is a real honor. I've listened to Ed speak a number of times at conferences. I always enjoy his comments. I always enjoy the fact that he's just so approachable or real, and he spends whatever time is necessary to talk to those of us that run up to talk to him after the conference. 
He has worked in the field of mortgage finance for more than 25 years, is currently, again, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Housing. Prior to serving at HUD, Ed was the Senior Fellow at the Urban Institute, where he played an instrumental role in launching the uh, Housing Finance Policy Center, a leading research voice in the housing finance matters. He began his career at the Federal Home Loan Bank uh, Board, and during the savings and loan crisis, boy, what a uh, man, there's a lot of stories he has there he could share with us. And uh, and then joined Freddie Mac, where he worked for 23 years prior to working in mortgage finance. Uh, Dr. Golding uh, taught at the University of Pennsylvania and University of Florida. He earned, again, uh, an A.B. degree in applied mathematics, was graduated magna cum laude from Harvard. Now that is something. And a Ph.D. in economics from Princeton. So please join me in welcoming Ed Golding to the to the radio program. Ed, good to have you here, sir. Yeah, uh, good to be here, and thanks for the kind introduction. Well, you are, again, one of the things I enjoy, Ed, is I've, I get the privilege of hanging around a lot of well-educated people, and 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 I look at some who seem to buy the degrees. I don't know if that's actually the way it is, but they insist on being doctor this, doctor that. And one of the things I enjoy most about who you are and how you approach uh, the industry is you're just Ed Golding, and you're out here to help, and you're privileged to have a very key role is as the principal deputy assistant at the secretary, as assistant secretary there um, for the office of housing HUD. And so it's it's a real privilege to talk to you about what's going on. So let's start off with this. Love to hear what your perspective is. What's new at FHA? It's been around forever, but what's new? What's going on there? Well, it has been around, uh, not quite forever, but for 82 years. Um, like I think what's new? Yeah, I'm a little bit of a historian, along with that applied math. But uh, you know, what's new is in some sense what's old. We are an important part of the housing market. Uh, you know, proud to play that role, and we really focus on, you know, first-time home buyers. We're almost a majority of that market, um, and as you know, and as the your audience knows, this is uh, part of the market that just needs more attention. We need more first-time home buyers out there. You know, good to hear from your guests that the volumes are heading up, but by a lot of estimates, you know, we're still short of where we need to be. Well, you sit and look at we're in the as David Stevens refers to election, and this is certainly going to have ramifications to FHA and HUD. So, what do you want to get done between now and the end of administration's current term? Well, uh, some of these started when uh, Dave was sitting in the same office, but we we still have a list of things that we owe the industry that we said we you know, need to get done, and I just want to make sure I don't get an incomplete uh, on that. So we still have to finish up sections of the handbook, uh, very important to get all the mortgagee letters in one place so the industry can understand the rules. Uh, and speaking of rules, of course, there's still, uh, as one of your uh, commenters mentioned, uh, the condo rule to uh, finish up. So we have a busy agenda uh, and nine months to go. Uh, before we turn the keys over to the next administration. That's going to be very interesting. Alice, I saw you dropped. Are you back in and dialed in? Do I have your right phone number turned on for you? Yep, I'm back. Thank you. Welcome to the program. Um, So in uh, August of last year, FHA announced its intention to develop a pay second lien program, so property assessed clean energy 
uh, for PACE, for those of you who want the, the translation on that. Can you update us on how that policy is coming along? Uh, yes, we've made you know good progress. I've uh, learned uh, not to ever make a forward-looking statement on exact uh, dates that things will be released. Uh, I'm always right. wrong. I'm always the optimist. I always say tomorrow, and it's always the day after that. But uh, we are making good progress. I do hope uh, that it will be out soon. It's you know an important product, uh, energy efficiency is important, and at the same time we want to make sure we protect uh, the insurance fund. So we're working hard to find that right, uh, sort of the sweet spot, the right balance uh, to allow lending to continue, including energy efficient lending, while still protecting, uh, you know, the, our interest as a, you know, insurer of first liens. Sure. Okay. And then, and then in March you released the final version of the loan level certification. So. I'd like to know from your vantage point how it's been received by the industry, and uh, does this close the book, so to speak, on the certification issue? <laughs> I don't think you ever close the books on certification, right. but uh, it's you know. First of all, let me just mention you know briefly what we think we accomplished, what we were trying to accomplish, and that was to be very clear with our with the lenders what was expected of them. Uh, we clearly you know, want to hold lenders to high standards, but there's always this concern that the rules are unclear, that we're going after footfalls and the like, small mistakes on debt-to-income ratios you know, on the, in the 400-page you know, uh, file. Any one small mistake uh, would cause uh, an issue. And what we very clearly, or I believe we very clearly stated is if you are saying that there are no defects that would affect basically insurability or, you know, put another way, had you known about the defect, would you still have gone ahead and made the loan? So clearly if it's, you know, in almost all cases, if it's a small mistake on income verification, you would make that loan every day. If it were a large mistake or if the appraisal weren't valid, uh, those are the types of mistakes that where you wouldn't make the loan, and that would be you know sort of considered a defect. So we were trying to make a you know closer to a you know a clear line of what type of defects you are certifying to and not certifying to. You know, as you know, it's a large industry. I've had you know people say that we've made you know a very good step forward, but at the end of the day, these are you know individual decisions that each lender is going to have to make on whether they're, you know, comfortable making the certification. Joe Farr, I want to get you into the discussion. I want to make sure that uh, uh, you get a few questions in. Joe is struggling to find his mute button, right? <laughs> I do that every time. Uh, Ed, I appreciate having you on the show today. And, and I, I know that FHA has done a, a good bit here lately to make uh, credit available to more people. And uh, I, I did want to ask if we have more to look forward to in that regard. Um, well, yes. I mean, in the sense that uh, we are not where we need to be in terms of uh, credit availability. So I'm, uh, you know, the, the good news, I think year over year, we did about 100,000 more purchase mortgage loans uh, endorsed uh, year over year. I would like to see that 
uh, volume increase? Because I think there are a lot of people still on the sidelines uh, of not purchasing houses who should be purchasing uh, houses. So we, we will encourage, uh, again, we don't make the loans, we only insure them, and we will work on such things, as I mentioned, clarifying the handbook um, and working on the condo rule to make it easier for lenders to make appropriate loans. But I would like to, you know, when I look at the market and where we are on first-time home buyers, it looks like people are still on the sidelines. I think we as an industry uh, need to do more to attract those borrowers. And, and one of the impediments there, especially for first-time home buyers, is student debt. And, and can you speak to that? Is there any uh, thing we can look forward to as, uh, as it regards student debt? Yeah, well, in fact, last week uh, we clarified our rules, uh, did something similar to what uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae had done, which was how to uh, incorporate student debt into the calculations for debt-to-income ratio, what if, you're, if they're deferred payments, well, you know, how much should you uh, put in for if the loan is not being paid right now, and we uh, basically uh, gave guidance to the industry on that. You know, student loan debt, different analysts look at it, and you know, have, uh, different people have views on how much of an impediment it is to uh, the, new, you know, the next generation buying a house. Uh, you know, we're, we'll continue to monitor it. I think you know, it, very often student debt falls into sort of three camps. Uh, there's obviously the doctors and lawyers who have a lot of student debt, but also have acquired a very valuable degree and will make you know a good amount of income. I don't think people are as concerned about that group. You know, there's a group that has a modest amount of student debt uh, that is not a big impediment uh, to buying a house. And then there's, I think, the third group where people are particularly, you know, concerned, uh, where they have uh, large amounts of student debt, especially for those who didn't finish the degree. And that becomes very problematic. Uh, we, we are saddling folks with, you know, additional debt, uh, but do not have the earnings growth that you would uh, trust that uh, education will get to. So it, it's we've done some things to, uh, we think, uh, give industry guidance on how to incorporate it. We'll continue to monitor it to see whether it is continues to be an impediment to home ownership. That's interesting. When you look at student loan debt, it is having a big impact, and drawing people into the market is. I want to get into that, but I want to toss the mic over to Andy Shell, Profit Doctor. Thanks, Dave, and Ed. Thanks so much for being on the call. You know, we go through our application process, and we've got our new borrower who's so excited about their house, and they've got their they've got their master's degree in English literature, and they buy the house, and all of a sudden they find themselves working at McDonald's, and now what? So now we've got a a distressed loan we got they're having trouble paying back so what are we going to do and obviously the distressed asset stabilization program has been getting some attention lately and you know there's updates regularly and uh, do you foresee making changes to this program uh, the DE distressed uh, asset stabilization or as everything in Washington gets a acronym of DASP um, it's been a program that you know has two objectives. One is uh, to try to keep people in their house uh, if possible. We don't want to have to foreclose on the homeowner, 
if we can. And so that's one objective. And the other objective is the protection of the fund. We want to basically lower the cost of disposing of delinquent uh, loans. And you know, the program has achieved both of those objectives. We now have tens of thousands of homeowners who haven't been foreclosed on because of the DAS program. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we, we calculate the fund has probably saved hundreds of millions of dollars. But uh, as one of your guests you know, pointed out, change management is always upon us. And it's a program that we've over time made improvements to, and we will continue to try to do that. Uh, we'll try to see whether we can get the program to focus even more on loss mitigation uh, so that homeowners aren't losing their homes. And again, most of these loans are ones where they've exhausted the traditional uh, FHA loss mitigation program. So in some sense, it's another opportunity for loss mit. Uh, yes, and the other thing exactly. And I do love change management, and we've <laughs> got to deal with the good and the bad and the ugly sometimes and uh, distressed properties. So it sounds like it's been going great, saving the fund money and helping people stay in their homes. And DASP, right? That's what we call it. I know yep. DASP and other policy changes have helped FHA build the fund, right? We want to build it, not shrink it. So how would you describe the health of FHA now and especially with the MMI fund? Yeah, um, we, we are measured in Congress. I was up testifying, and the, most of the questions, many of the questions were about the health of the fund. And you know, I was very happy to uh, be able to report that we are over that 2% reserve, capital reserve ratio. So the amount oh, of our reserve fund divided by the number of mortgages or the dollar amount of mortgages that we insure is now over 2%. So big success, and every indication is, it will continue to grow uh, this year and next year. Perfect. Thank you very much. And, yeah, I, and we're getting some questions in from some of our listeners that, uh, first of all, they're looking at, they loved your perspective. I mean, if we, if we see, first of all, FHA has been around for 82 years, as you said. It's been there as a stable force. This is an unusual election cycle, one of the most fascinating. I guess each one of them have been to some degree, but this one is over the top. Several of our listeners would love to get your perspective, and I know you're part of this administration, so you, we're not asking for anything that's inappropriate here, but we're, what several listeners said would love to get Ed's perspective on you know, where does this, what are some of the things that we could anticipate uh, as it relates to outcomes of this election, whether, which way it goes, either way. So, and we talked a little bit about that earlier, but we'd love to talk about moving beyond this administration, your perspective on things, or maybe it should be characterized as things you're hoping won't change or needs to change yet. Well, yeah, let me uh, you know, remember I was the applied math major, not that uh, poli-sci yeah. major, but uh, so I tend not to, uh, I try to stick to the numbers. But first of all, sort of want to emphasize the historical bipartisan support for FHA. Uh, year in, year out, it is a program that, you know, folks realize put people in houses. It did it in the 1950s for my father returning from World War II with some, you know, completing his uh, college education on the GI Bill. It was there for him. We have to make sure it's there for the, the next generation. So I, rhetoric aside, I am hopeful that housing will continue to enjoy 
sort of the bipartisan support and people will recognize FHA's um, importance. And very quickly, you know, the next administration uh, will also have housing finance reform and what to do and how to restructure on its plate. And uh, it is likely FHA will be part of that discussion along with the GSEs. Just got an email, and then Andy and, and Alice and Joe are going to come around to each of you for some additional questions here. Uh, one of the listeners just said, what is the temperature on the Hill right now when you're testifying? Is it just they're wanting information, or is it adversarial? How would you characterize the relationship with Congress between HUD, FHA, and, uh, and your, when you're testifying? Uh, I'm always the optimist. I take every question as positive, whether it was intended that way or not. Uh, so I'll leave it to others if you want to listen to the testimony. Uh, you know, a lot of good questions about the health of the fund, a lot of good questions about uh, home ownership and whether we're doing enough. Uh, so I, I go yeah, that's, back, rhetoric aside, I think there's a lot of support for the fund and for FHA. I think there is, but it's, it's you know here's where you start seeing the ide- ideological divide that happens. Are we doing enough? Or are we doing too much? And I think that's where we start seeing that divide begin to happen. Uh, very fascinating on where this will all end up in the new year. Uh, Alice, let's run over to you, and then I'm going to go to Joe and Andy. The same order. Any other questions that you specifically have for Ed? Well, yes, actually, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my underwriter hat for a minute. So, Ed, I'm a FHAVE underwriter from a long time ago. If I gave you my letters, you would know how. And <laughs> 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 I, I love the FHA program. I think it is such a valuable product for homeowners, and always have, regardless of our market conditions. And one of the areas that seems to be uh, one that could benefit. You mentioned earlier about we the industry needs to do more for first-time home buyers. Well, it seems very often they fall into where automated underwriting just isn't their friend, um, maybe due to credit or um, other factors with it that really require some manual look. So I'd like to get your thoughts on, you know, FHA manual underwriting today, or does FHA really want to see that approve eligible from the automated underwriting systems? Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, you know, we very much uh, want to encourage people to do manual underwriting. The total scorecard gives a refer, does not give a denial, uh, you will see, even going back when talking about certification, when we uh, said when we talked about defect, we did not talk about failure. Uh, you know that it would have changed the result of total alone. You still could have approved that loan through manual underwriting. We would not consider it a defect. So we're doing everything we can to promote uh, the use of manual underwriting. As uh, you know. Uh, there, every person is a different story. Judgment uh, is still very important. Uh, you have to follow the rules, but at the end of the day, you also have to use judgment uh, in underwriting, and uh, it's very important. Manual underwriting is an important part of that. Well, that I'm, I'm glad to hear you to say that because I know when, when we look in the FHA actuarial report, we see that each time that the for those lower credit scores, right? It's fewer and fewer loans. So I think lenders get concerned that they may be on a radar if they're manual underwriting. So I'm glad to hear those positives for manual underwriting. Yeah, the problem, though, Allison and Ed, is that, you know, finding the number of underwriters that that can truly underwrite successfully. And so uh, on a manual basis, so so much of the industry has relied on AUS this way too long. Joe Farr, let's run over to you. I'm yeah. thinking of several of the comments regarding secondary markets and what the things have. Let's go well, to you. 
actually, I, I, I read an article this morning at, in Inside Mortgage Finance that um, FHA's been given $13 million to upgrade or to use from a tech, uh, in a technology fund, and I just wanted to find out what if you had uh, identified those priorities and, and what that money might be spent Great for. Great question. Yeah. Um, well, so not, nothing's passed yet, so there's always the uh, oh. the check's not in the mail. Uh, but we have been uh, advocating uh, additional funds uh, for technology at FHA. Uh, very important. Uh, it ranges from, I'd put it in two broad buckets, uh, how we inter- interact with the lender, lending community needs to be updated. Some of those programs were written in COBOL, and sometimes they go down over the weekend. And wow. we want to make sure we have a very robust system so that lending uh, is not disrupted. Uh, you know, Some of it also goes to risk management and the questions around manual underwriting. We could do a lot better uh, in providing the industry feedback and guidance so that there would be more comfort in doing manual underwriting. Uh, QC process and and the like. So I put those in the two broad buckets of where we would uh, spend the money. Uh, We have too many of our systems still written in COBOL. Well, you said think about that. I mean, Jenny May was talking to Ted Dozier and Michael over there at uh, Jenny May, and they were saying some of the systems, the archaic systems that are still there, the COBOL screens that still exist, it's, it's just really astounding. So... $13 $13 million doesn't sound like much money for the amount of, of a hole when it comes to technology that you're digging out of. So it would be real interesting how you deploy that. Good luck with that one, That's uh, especially Thank in this you. market. So, yeah. <laughs> Andy Shell, let's get over to you for a last question yeah. here before it looks like we're just about out of time here. So, Sure. Thanks, Dave, and, and welcome again, Ed. It's, it's scary to hear about COBOL programming. I programmed COBOL 76, and it's still there. That's 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 a... Way too old. Will, will you come um, help us fix it? <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the few that still know how, knows how to do it. <laughs> We're taking volunteers. Nice <clears throat> that'd be a, that'd be a nice disaster. We, well, you know, Ed. One of the things that I wanted to follow up on is we were Joe brought up the topic about the kids and the student debt, and the, you know, I mentioned the, the 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 person with a master's degree in English literature working at McDonald's and. You know, maybe they work at work, uh, have enough money to pay rent, and and maybe they're doing fine. They've got some cash flow. They're living, they're making payments. Maybe they're living with their parents and paying rent, or you know, have an apartment, whatever, and they can afford fifteen hundred dollars a month. But they just can't get that down payment up, and you know, that is just their life is like this. And so, and I am not a big advocate of zero down, but I think sometimes in the right circumstance, there's a a cash flow that works that, um, I don't know, I know Alice is cringing hearing me even say this because she likes <laughs> 10% plus reserves, but uh, do you see there being any place where FHA might consider a lower down payment product? Well, the requirement's statutory, so we have the 3.5% down payment uh, requirement out there. There are down payment assistance programs uh, out there, but in general, it's a statutory requirement. I do go back. VA, as you know, is basically a 0% down and has run a very successful program. So there are ways of doing lower down payment, but for now, it's really a statutory requirement. All right. Thank you. When you look at the premium decrease that was announced last January, it definitely had an impact on home ownership. 
can you drill down a little bit and give us some details on how the decrease has affected volume? And then, then I have to wrap it up after that. I can't believe we're already out of time, but yeah. give us some insights on that. Yeah, um, it definitely, the, our best estimate, if you go look at year over year and you look at people who otherwise probably could, would not have been served by the market below 680, we see over 100,000 families served that we attribute largely to the mortgage insurance premium reduction. So 100,000 new families per year uh, is significant. It adds up you know, over time. Yeah, no kidding. It, it, it's, um, it's, it was encouraging to see that, and we'll have to see. The, hopefully we're going to see this fund continue to stay strong, and we have another 82 years of this bear, a valuable program there. Ed, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. We'd love to have you come back and share with us uh, as we get close to wrapping things up. And hopefully you're going to be around for a little bit longer that the new administration, whoever that may be, will keep you around because you're a tremendous advocate for not only housing, but also you're a great spokesperson and lead, you're providing wonderful leadership to FHA. And we're really grateful for you for the role that you're doing at HUD and FHA and also for uh, what you're doing across the industry just to help with what we have housing finance system here in America. Appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you. Folks, we have had the privilege of having Ed, Dr. Ed Golding, who is the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Housing, joining us. It's been real interesting to get update on what's going on. We're in this silly season called, as David Stevens says, the silly season of, uh, of this election. There's a lot of policy, and we encourage um, you to get a hold of the candidates, encourage them to start talking about housing. We need to have this on the table and be talking about, being talked about in the election. I have written in and I'm going to be getting some um, getting some positive feedback too. So I think one of the things when you when you connect with guys like uh, Dr. Ed Golding, you have the privilege of realizing they want to hear from you. So the biggest question is the biggest mistake you can do is remain quiet. Get out there and say something. Talk to somebody. Email those that are involved that could have an impact on um, on the housing market. Keep it going. Let's get it in, into the discussion on the election cycle. Appreciate you joining us. Next week, we've got Joe Darlene coming in. We're going to circle back a little bit on some technology issues. Uh, Joe has done a great job of doing a number of things related to technology, and uh, I'm very excited to have him on and share where he sees the future of technology going. Is mobile apps, is Rocket Mortgage really the thing? Well, we're going to have him on. We're going to get a lot of perspective on that. Appreciate you taking time to be a part of the broadcast, the drum signal. We are out of time. So, tell others. I look forward to having you back next week and hope you have a blessed and great week, everybody. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.